starting a four-week teaching series. We're done with Sacred Melodies. Um, that was only two weeks, but I'm going to do it again later on this year. But we're um, starting a two, uh, four-week teaching series on Christmas because Christmas is too good for just one week in my mind. So we're doing what's called the Four Words of Christmas. And the four words you're going to hear about are chaos, joy, illumination, and birth. Today I want to talk to you about the relationship between Christmas and chaos. And if you read the first few chapters of the book of Matthew or the book of Luke, you'll realize that the first Christmas was an incredibly chaotic scene. First of all, the stories mention a dude named Caesar Augustus, or Augustus Caesar. He was the heir to Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar had recently declared himself a deity. He declared himself to be a god. So Caesar Augustus was referred to as the son of a god, or the son of God. He was viewed as a savior, someone who would bring peace into the area. Coins were minted at this time with his favorite slogan, which was, peace through military victory. Kind of the same motto we have in the United States, actually. It didn't gain them any peace, but that's what they believed. Then along comes Jesus, and you know the story of Christmas. He was called a savior, a prince of peace, the son of God. Jesus was taking over the titles that used to belong to Caesar. This meant a revolution was taking place, okay? So this was a very emotionally and politically charged time in history. There was also a census being taken. That added to the chaos. A census was when Caesar counted all the people in the region. So everybody had to travel back to their birth home, their hometown. And if you've ever traveled with small children, you know that that can bring a lot of chaos. Add, that to, add to the fact that these people weren't on a first-class flight eating peanuts and drinking Pepsi. They were walking. So it was incredibly chaotic and stressful. The purpose of the census was so that Caesar could count the people so he could more accurately tax the living bejeebers out of them. Some of their tax rates were 80 to 90% of their income. So they were forced to sell off land that belonged in their families for generations. And then they hired themselves to work on the very land that they used to own. So this financial distress was also a part of the chaos that was going on here. Then there was the fact that Mary and Joseph were young, probably teenagers, and expecting their first child, which would have probably, if you're like me, would have freaked them out. They're thinking to themselves, we're going to be responsible for another human being on this planet. I remember when I got the news that I was first going to be a father. I got the news on a phone call that my son was going to be born nine months later. And I remember hanging up the phone, and I couldn't think anymore. Like I was preparing a sermon, I thought, well, I'm done with work. So I just went home and stared at stuff for like an hour like an hour. I couldn't even think. Like I had no thoughts other than I'm going to be a dad. I don't know how to do that. And so I just stared at stuff, completely freaked out. Add to the fact it was even more stressful for Mary and Joseph because they were not married. And back then that would have been a TMZ-worthy scandal. They would have been the source of a lot of gossip and, and chit-chat and chatter. And they were told that their child, by the way, was going to be the son of the living God. So no pressure there, okay? Then along comes the angels, speaking of chaos. Angels were present on the first Christmas, and angels weren't these really romantic-looking beings with flowing white gowns and a perma-smile on their face and halo-clad like you see on the Christmas cards. 
Not at all. Angels were terrifying, powerful, magnificent, celestial beings that freaked people out whenever they appeared on the scene. Angels' first words in Scripture, 99% of the time, are these words, be not afraid. That's what angels always have to say. Why? Because angels are scary. That's why. (laughs) Okay? So the angels were freaking people out. That added to the chaos because fear always feels chaotic. Then the magi pop in. And we're not told that there's three of them. We're not told that they're particularly wise. We just made that stuff up, okay? But we are told that they're from the east, and they're kind of part stargazer, part scientist, and a large part Zoroastrian priest, okay? That's what they were because they came from the east, probably Persia. And they're known to be pretty good at math. Most likely they were magicians, but not your children's birthday party variety of magicians. More, their magic was more in the black magic thing. Think sorcerer, not birthday magician, okay? That's what was going on here. And then they just show up unannounced at the birth of Jesus. Can you imagine, now put all this together, can you imagine the chaos at the manger on that first Christmas day? In my mind, I just view it like this. I view Mary laying there thinking, I'm about to give birth to my first child. Nobody told me about the personality-altering pain. A little heads up next time, okay? And there's all these strangers and people pressing in on me, and I'm giving birth in a barn in front of all these people I don't even know. I can imagine her just snapping, just having this moment where she just she's just done. She goes, that's it. Everybody out. Animals, out. You smell. I know it's your barn, but you're out. Shepherd, you smell just like the animals. You're out too. Magi, you're creepy, okay? You're good at math, but you're creepy. You're out, okay? Angels, you're scaring me. You're out. Little drummer boy, nobody wants a guy beating a drum when you're giving birth to your first child. You're out. Like, everybody's out, okay? Except Joseph. I can imagine her looking at Joseph and going, Joseph, I know it's not your child, but you're staying because I need somebody to yell at right now, okay? So you're in, right? I can imagine just this total chaos scene. So the first Christmas was probably incredibly chaotic, just like our Christmases are, right? I don't know about your Christmas season, but there isn't a lot of silent night, holy night stuff going on around my house in the weeks leading up to Christmas. There's presents to be bought. There's presents to be wrapped. There's decorations to hang. There's, there's lights to be untangled. There's middle school band concerts that you have to endure. There's all of these things. The silent night, holy night stuff comes about two days after Christmas out of sheer exhaustion, usually, in our house. Christmas is chaotic because life is chaotic. Try as we might, we can't seem to squeeze our lives in these nice, neat, tidy little boxes that we want to try to fit them in. Life just has a way of spilling out or sometimes just breaking the box and bursting out all over the place. There's a t-shirt, some of you have seen people wearing it, it's fairly popular, and it says this, I run on coffee, chaos, and cuss words. Have you seen that one yet? And I thought, I can so relate to that saying, that's what my life feels like. Most of us can relate. Life is especially chaotic during the painful periods of our life. And there was a lot of that on the first Christmas, mostly due to a man named Herod. Herod was this narcissistic, brutal megalomaniac. He was a king over a region in the time of Jesus. And when he heard about the birth of this new king, the birth of this child king Jesus, he felt very threatened. He thought, well, Jesus is going to grow up and be a threat to my power and position and authority. 
stone and attempt to murder Jesus, which didn't work, he had all the young boys slaughtered in the area. And the streets, it says in Scripture, the streets were filled with the mourning and weeping and wailing of family members who had just lost these young boys. Gustav, it's called the slaughter of the innocents. Gustav Doré, if you want to Google it, he was an illustrator um, quite a while ago, and he does this amazing depiction of the slaughter of the innocents, and it has a mom holding her young child above her head like a basketball as high as she can, just out of the reach of a knife-wielding soldier. And in the background, there's this foreboding scene of these storm clouds brewing, and it captures the fear and the confusion and the chaos of that time. As a pastor, I've told you that I have this incredible privilege to be invited into other people's pain. It's what pastors get to do. I get to be invited into their bleakest, darkest, most hopeless moments during their pain, their sickness, their loss, even sometimes to people's impending death. And one of the questions, I'm going to be really honest with you here, one of the questions that gets asked of me during these times is, where the hell is God right now? Just to be honest with you, that's what family members will often ask me. Where the hell is God? I can't seem to locate him right now. So I want to I ask that question of us today. Where is God in the chaos and what is he doing? Let me address three things. The first thing he is up to that he's doing in the chaos of our life is he's not freaking out. That's what he's doing. Look at Mark chapter 4, verses 37 and 38. I just want to read this for you. A furious squall came up like a hurricane-force storm. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in a boat with a few of his followers. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. He had the foresight to bring a pillow with him. Jesus was that guy that travels and always brings his pillow, okay? The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? That's what they're thinking. You don't even give a rip, do you? Okay? I love that little section of Scripture because here is Jesus and his disciples who are fishermen, that's what they did for a living, okay? But evidently, this storm wasn't just your average, normal, daily storm. It was so scary, they thought they were going to die. And there's Jesus taking a siesta. Jesus is not a freaker-outer. Aren't you glad that he's not a freaker-outer? Because we all know people that are freaker-outers. Some of you are freaker-outers. I'm a little bit of a freaker-outer variety person myself. And freaker-outers, this is what you do. When you tell them about trouble, at the first hint of trouble, either in your life or their life, they push the panic button, and they catastrophize everything, don't they? They really do. They instantly go to the worst-case scenario situation, and they insist that you go there with them. After you've been with a freaker-outer for just a few minutes, you don't feel better about the chaos and trouble and pain in your life. You feel quite worse. You feel like you've downed about four Red Bulls while you're watching a horror movie, don't you? You're just jittery and unsettled by everything. Jesus isn't like that. He is not the calm before the storm. These scriptures tell us he's actually the calm in the storm. And when we pray, we can be infused with his presence and the presence of his calm. That's so important. There's a university president. Oh, he said this. This is so great. I'll put it up on the screen, actually. He says, I get up every morning and I do three things. Absorb chaos, give back calm, and provide hope. Every parent goes, yeah, that's my daily routine right there, okay? And many of us feel that way. I believe we can all do that. I believe we can do the same thing he does. 
I believe every day we can get up and actually absorb people's chaos and give them back a sense of calm and hope. But we can only do that when we pray and we are infused with the calm of Jesus. That way we have some calm to give away. Now, second thing that God does in the chaos, he hovers. Check it out. First chapter of the Bible, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. We are introduced to chaos. In fact, chaos was about all that existed. Look what it says in verse 2 of the first book of the Bible. Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This was actually describing a chaotic scene, and the first reason it was describing a chaotic scene, especially to ancient Hebrew readers, ancient Jewish people would have read this and thought, ooh, that's chaos, because it uses the word, the deep. Remember, ancient Jews did not like deep, dark water. For generations, they'd basically been desert dwellers by the time the book of Genesis was written. They were fishermen, but they didn't like to go into the deep parts. They viewed the deep as the abyss, a place where evil lurked, a place where even monsters lurked. They didn't want to go into the deep, dark waters. I completely agree with them. I've told you that before. I like to swim when I can see the bottom. I do not like to swim when the water gets so deep I can't see what's underneath me because I'm convinced that something's going to come up from the deep, pull me under, and just start gnawing on me or something. I came across this picture. I want to show you this. Oh, come on, right? Look at this picture of this little kid. Now that's actually Photoshop. And we, can I see the next one, though? I think I got two for you there. A clown under the water, okay? That's just like the worst thing ever in my mind, all right? But I saw this picture. Maybe you can't see it on that TV. There's this, like, foreboding clown underneath it. You can take it off. But the first time, I just, I don't like it. I just saw the picture just of the child in the water, and that's what it made me feel like, though. I just go, no, 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 you got to get that little baby out of there. Deep, dark water's not good. Then there's the phrase used in Genesis 1, formless and void. It's the Hebrew phrase tohu vavohu. It means wild and waste. It's a picture of total chaos. But this is where it gets good. The Spirit of God hovered over the tohu vavohu. This is super important for us to hear today for two reasons. First of all, because it shows us that God is not in a hurry with the chaos. He's okay with the chaos. Not us, right? We like things nice and neat and clean and tidy. When there's chaos in my life, you can tell. Because I start to vacuum our house like a madman, okay? The, more, the cleaner my carpets are in my house, the worse my life is going, all right? Because when my life is chaotic, I start to vacuum because I just want something clean and tidy and in order and finished. I just want it done. That's what I do, okay? In fact, when I call the coop, they know I'm not OCD. I, I kind of sound like that, right? I'm more like OCD-ish. I just live in the general vicinity of OCD. But when I call the coops after the earthquake, they go, we earthquake bolted all of our furniture and everything, all of our cupboards. And so they didn't fall off, but everything's on the floor. And they sent me a picture, and I go, this is where you miss me, isn't it? Because they know I'm a little OCD. And they go, can you come up here? I go, I would actually love to, because that would be heaven for me to put everything back in its place. That's what we want, okay? Now, God is not like that. 
I want order. I want, I just don't like the chaos. I get all OCD-ish during the chaos. God doesn't. What he does, he's comfortable with the chaos. He hovers over it for a while. He lingers in it. We might not want to hear this. I didn't when I was prepping this message. But we should not rush through the chaos because a little bit of chaos in our life is actually good for us because the chaos invites us to listen to God, to quiet down and listen to God on a deeper level and to participate with him in the transformation he's going to bring about in our life as a result of the chaos that we're going through. I want to put up on the screen, this is, what, this is a little order that's going to happen in your life all the time. This is following God in a nutshell. This will be rehearsed, this little, this little thing, over and over. Order, disorder, reorder. That will constantly be happening in your life. Don't get more, very comfortable in the order because pretty soon the disorder is coming. Don't get freaked out by the disorder because pretty soon something new and beautiful, uh, something of reorder is going to happen. That's the journey we're all on with God. And chaos sometimes is the only thing that will pry us out of our comfort zones of order into this beautiful, this beautiful time of transformation and change that God wants to accomplish in our life. That's why one of my favorite quotes, I've used it in here in a sermon before, but I want to put it up on the board for us. Let's read this. Don't rush through the experiences and circumstances that have the most capacity to transform you. Don't rush through those experiences and circumstances, even if they're chaotic, because they often are. We've got to learn, like God, to linger in our chaos. That is so difficult, but I've been trying it, and it's doable. Here's the second reason that phrase, the Spirit of God hovered over the tohu vavohu, is so important for us, because right after God hovered over the chaos, creation took place. God is this amazingly talented artist, and the hovering for him was an incubation period where he was planning, where he was letting his creative juices flow, where he was dreaming of what creation could be. That's what the hovering process was. And here's the crazy part. Chaos is the material he uses to create beauty. He creates, like we sang today, he creates beauty out of the mess, out of the dust, out of the chaos. I want to show you three pictures right now of artists that do what's called splatter art. Have you seen this? I love this. If I could find some for our house, I would do it. Can we pop these up? This is people that just splatter stuff, but then they make beauty out of the splattering. I'm just fascinated by this. we got two more. Let's put the second one up there. Yeah, the flash, okay, because that's what he looks like because he's so fast. And then the third one that I saw, I really like the third one. Can we pop that? Or do I just have two? I just have two. The third one can get up there. Okay, I'm sorry. It's really cool, and I love that. It's beauty out of chaos. That's what God does in our lives. We're his own private, personal splatter art project. When we're all broken apart and chaotic and a total mess, he puts us back together in a more beautiful form. So ask yourself this right now. Is my life a great, big, hot mess? Is it tohu vavohu? Is it just a goat rodeo? Is it just complete chaos? Don't despair. Because when I look back at the chaotic times in my life, I never want to go through them again. But I can tell you one thing, I'm grateful for them. Because God used the chaos to launch me into a period of transformation in my life. I would have just stayed in the nice, comfortable order part. But he launched me into the disorder and reorder. And he used the chaos 
to do that. So I'm a lot more Christ-like, believe it or not, than I used to be before. Chaos always proceeds at something new and beautiful happening in your life. I want to say that to you again, because some of you are in chaos right now. Chaos always proceeds at something new and beautiful happening in your life. Order, disorder, and reorder. So the two things God does, he doesn't freak out. He hovers, and lastly, he's simply with us. We've got to accept facts. Life on this earth is always going to involve chaos. Our story isn't, well, once upon a time, Tim was born, and then he lived happily ever after. That's not how it goes. Our stories are all more like, well, once upon a time, Tim was born, and then all hell broke loose, right? That's kind of the story of everybody's life. We've got to accept that. But at least we're not alone in the chaos. And this is what takes us back to the Christmas story. Jesus was born that first Christmas morning. God wrote himself into the story. The divine was somehow, I don't know how, squeezed into skin. Jesus, this one we call Emmanuel, which means God with us, actually did that. He was born so he could be with us, right in the middle of our chaos. And some people object and say, oh yeah, when my life was all chaotic, God was nowhere to be found. That is actually not true. He was there. It's just hard to see him sometimes. There's an author that has the greatest phrase. It's full of wisdom. It says, you will see what you spend the most time looking for. And I thought about that. You will see what you spend the most time looking for. I thought, that is actually true in so many areas of our life. I have a friend that's an avid fly fisherman. He's tried to teach me, but I don't get it. And I don't really like bugs. And I don't like fish, okay? So there's that. But I I might learn to try again. But he can see the fish before they take the lure. He'll stand right beside me, and he's got polarized sunglasses, but so do I. And he goes, there's fish coming up. Do you see it? And I go, no, I see water and rocks. And he goes, oh, it's right by your lure. Get ready. He goes, oh, you missed it. I go, missed what? There is no fish in that water. I don't even get what you're seeing there. And he catches fish. He took me and some middle school kids fishing, and we went out on our own for an hour, and and they go, how many fish did you catch? And all of us said none. And he goes, I caught eight. Because he can see the fish because he's spent a lifetime looking for fish under the surface of the water. But then I thought about that. I thought, we do see what we spend time looking for. If you spend time looking for goodness in another person's life, instead of just looking at all the reasons they annoy you, you will actually see the goodness in their life. If you spend time looking for things in your own life to be grateful for, instead of looking for things to complain about, you'll actually see reasons to be grateful even on your worst day. We see what we spend the most time looking for. Please, if your life is chaotic, spend time looking for Jesus. He's there. You have to practice looking for him, but he's there. He's always been there, and he always will be there. I'm just finishing up a book right now. I recommend it to you if any of you are readers. It's called Wonderstruck. It's by Margaret Feinberg, and she's a genius author. She's read everything she wrote. It's just genius. And in this book, one section of it, her life was the definition of chaos and tohu vavohu for a while. She went through so many difficult things in a very short, compressed period of time. The first thing that happened is her transmission went out in her car. Isn't that what usually starts chaotic times in your life? Your car breaks. It was her only car, and the transmission just was just burnt, just toast. Then, right during that time when she just took the car into the shop, a very dear and close friend unexpectedly and suddenly and shockingly died. Then a pipe burst in her house, and it 
flooded the entire downstairs portion of her house. A repair that was supposed to take a week took six weeks because that's how it always goes, by the way. And the workers that were doing the repair, they were two nice gentlemen, but they were, they were fond of singing show tunes while they were working loudly and badly. And two of their favorites were Circle of Life from The Lion King and Defying Gravity from Wicked. And they sang these songs can you imagine hearing those? That's like getting stuck on the small world ride at Disneyland, okay? This is going to ruin your mind for a while. Then, right after that, her family business took a rapid downturn, so there's all kinds of financial duress. Then she got a call from her doctor with an incredibly scary, frightening, life-threatening diagnosis. She hung up the phone from the doctor and fell to the floor. She couldn't even stand anymore. She fell to the floor. She was struggling for breath. She was having a panic attack because I'm familiar with them. She's describing them, and I'm going, I know what you were going through. She had a panic attack. And then suddenly, in the midst of this panic attack, there on her kitchen floor, she said this, God filled me with the wonder of his presence. God wasn't just with me on the kitchen floor. He had been with me all along. She realized he'd always been with her. And so right there, she realized, I've been focusing so much on my pain and chaos, I've actually lost sight of God. You know, some people say it's impossible to rediscover something that you've already discovered before, and I totally disagree with that. If your life is chaotic right now, and you feel under the weight and all alone under the pressure of the chaos, you can rediscover Jesus for the first time again. You can rediscover Emmanuel, God with us the best gift you'll get this Christmas. And by the way, she goes on, I want to give you the happy ending of this particular story. When she realized the presence of God was with her, she was so filled with joy and peace, she started to make snow angels. She burst into song, just singing any worship song that came to her head, and started to make snow angels on the kitchen floor. There was no snow, though, but there was a lot of crumbs because she has kids, and those will do in a pinch, right? So she made crumb angels, basically, on the kitchen floor. She was just delighting in the invisible and unexplainable nearness of God in her life. And the whole story shows us that peace and joy don't come to us after the chaos. They're available for us in the chaos. And that's the message of Christmas, isn't it? Let me pray for us. 